and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what he wants to do in your life. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see all of you here and to be with you, and we welcome again those who are joining us um, online, and we welcome you as well. Well, I've had an interesting week. Um, For those of you who don't know, um, my wonderful wife Cheryl had an emergency appendectomy this week, and uh, she's, uh, she's doing well. Uh, she is uh, she's home this morning. She didn't sleep well. She was hoping to come, but she didn't sleep too well. So uh, I gave her the morning off. <laughs> but uh, she's back on the clock this afternoon. You know how it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, listen, um, also, we won't be with you next Sunday. We're going to be taking a little... Uh, a uh, few, few days of vacation going down to where we're going to be retiring in North Carolina for a few days. But we have a special treat for you next Sunday. Jared Trumbo is going to be with us, and he's going to be speaking next Sunday for us. Many of you will remember Jared. He was our youth director some years ago, and we sent he and his family off to China for several years. Uh, they were in missionary service there. And uh, they've been back in the U.S., and he is helping to pastor a church in North Carolina. But um, he and his family are going to be up here uh, next uh, week for Thanksgiving, and um, we've invited him to speak uh, in my absence. So I know you'll want to come and be an encouragement to Jared, uh, both by your presence and uh, by your words. So uh, that's, that's next Sunday. Well, let's, uh, let's uh, turn uh, our attention to God's Word today, and I want, us to, I want us to think and I want us to meditate and reflect today on holiness, holiness, and um, why being holy is important and what it has to do with, with being uh, cruciform. So I want you to imagine this scene. A farmer goes to the weekly farmer's market to sell his cottage cheese and also his applesauce that he makes right there on his farm. And he carries us in in two large tubs, cottage cheese in one tub, applesauce in the other. He then ladles the cottage cheese or the applesauce into smaller containers for his customers. But one day he gets to the market and he discovers that he's forgotten one of his ladles and so he doesn't he feels like he's got no choice but to use the same ladle for both products well before long I think you can imagine what happens pretty soon you can't tell which is the applesauce and which is the cottage cheese and folks that's a picture of what happens when we try to share or live out the good news of Jesus using hearts, minds, tongues that are still immersed in a godless world. After a while, nobody can tell who we are, 
or to whom we belong. Are we cottage cheese or are we applesauce? Well, today I, I want you to think with me about, about holiness because it's an integral part of being cruciform. Cruciform, again, it means anything that's made in the shape of a cross. Your life is cruciform. Mine is if, if it is cross-shaped, when it reminds other people of Jesus, our actions, our attitudes, our characters, how we live out our lives, how we treat other people. It can either resemble and reflect Jesus or not. And, and being cruciform is our mega theme as we make our way through 2 Corinthians, uh, this letter that the great Christian leader Paul wrote to new Christians living there in Corinth. And, you know, that word holiness, it can mean different things to different uh, people. Uh, for, for most non-Christians, the word holiness, I think, has a negative connotation to it. Uh, th they're likely to describe uh, other people as being holier than thou, um, which means uh, a person who is intolerant or judgmental of others. And, you know, even for followers um, of Jesus, holiness is not a word that we often use outside of this building, is it? I mean, uh, and here we sing about God being holy, and we've heard that we're supposed to be or become holy. But what does that really mean, to be holy? You know, some of us grew up associating holiness with um, not engaging in certain activities that got defined as being worldly. For example, uh, when I was growing up in the church culture that I was in, holiness was defined as not smoking, not drinking, not using curse words, not going to movies, not playing with cards because of their association with gambling, and, and not even going to the beach with members of the opposite sex because seeing each other in swimsuits could lead to impure thoughts. And, and holiness was, it was defined um, in terms of limitations and negatives. Now, was that all wrong? No. But it wasn't all right either. It also tended to leave out a lot of stuff that I believe can be a whole lot more harmful spiritually, like being a racist, um, like loving money and things more than God like despising the poor. And as with many things about our new life in Jesus, we come back to what the Bible teaches. The church that I grew up in and uh, its culture is not the final authority, folks. What pastor so-and-so or Mrs. such-and-such, the Sunday school teacher taught, is not my final authority. Scripture, the Bible, is my final authority. So the question that we want to try and answer today is, is this one. What does it mean to be holy? 
And I believe that our, our text today in 2 Corinthians is going to help to, uh, us to understand this better. So uh, get your Bible out in whatever form you have it, and let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11, and I'm going to read through verse 4 of chapter 7. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Here we go. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affections from you, but we are withholding, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children, open wide your hearts also. Verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? By the way, Belial was just another name for Satan. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 1 of chapter 7. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. All right, so what can we learn from this passage about being holy? For, here, here's the first thing. You and I need to accept a new and a clear identity. Holiness is, it's about accepting the fact that you're a brand new person because of Jesus. And that new identity should be clear to you and to others. In our passage, Paul made it clear that uh, there was... There were some very clear distinctions between believers in Jesus and, and non-believers. You should be able to tell the applesauce from the cottage cheese, right? And then he asked, he asked five rhetorical questions that all required a negative answer. Let's walk through that. Starts off, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And then he asked these questions. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? It can't. How can light live with darkness? It, it can't. What, what harmony can there, between, uh, can there be between Christ and the devil? Well, there can't be any. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? You, you can't be. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Can't be. For we are the temple of the living God. 
And those five rhetorical questions provide insights, don't they, into our new identity as followers of Jesus. I mean, we've been declared righteous before God because we're now in Jesus. Our sin has been credited to Jesus. His righteousness has been credited to us. We have moved from the realm of spiritual darkness into spiritual light. It was Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So Paul is giving us an identity here. We now know and live in the Messiah, the Christ, the one God sent into the world to tear us away from Satan's kingdom. We are the ones who trust completely in who Jesus is and what he's done for us, unlike those who reject him. And as individual believers and as a group, we, we are the new temple of God, the place where God now dwells spiritually. So what Paul is doing here is giving the Corinthians and us a new and a clear identity. What does it mean to be holy? You know, if we had the time today to look at a lot of different scriptures, here's what else we would discover. First, holiness means that I, believe, I belong completely to God and live to please and serve him more and more because of what Jesus has done for us. Second, holiness is both an accomplished fact and an unfinished process. You were made holy, set apart by God for God when you first put your faith in Jesus. Look at the scripture. But you were cleansed, you were made holy. Oh, that tense is important, it's past tense. You were made holy, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. But then look again at, verse, uh, at a verse that we read earlier today. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 7, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. And so when you look at that scripture, there's a clear assumption, isn't there, that this is a process that continues throughout our entire lives. Third, holiness is, it's about the gradual but complete transformation of our lives. Again, look at that scripture from verse 1 of chapter 7. Let us cleanse ev ourselves from what? Let us cleanse ourselves from what? Oh, put it up there. The next scripture. Kathy. There we go. <laughs> Let us cleanse ourselves from everything right that can defile our body or spirit and let us work toward what complete holiness you know that phrase body and spirit means the the totality of your being everything that impacts your life nothing is exempt nothing is overlooked nothing is off limits in your life and mind when it comes to the holy spirit and fourth important i must cooperate with the holy spirit to become holy i mean you, you it's true you cannot become holy or get holier without god the holy spirit working in you good luck trying but you know what else he doesn't do it for you either 
Um, the Bible says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. There's got to be cooperation. So you and I have a new and a clear identity in Jesus. That's what you need to remember about being holy. Accept it, live into it, grow in your understanding of what holiness means and what it does not mean. And right there is an example of what it means to grow in our understanding of holiness. What's that? Don't become isolated from non-Christians. You may have thought that's what Paul was arguing for here, but it's not true. You see, this was, this was a very real tension for Paul and those Corinthian Christians in the first century. And you know, the same tension exists today. On the one hand, non-Christians can certainly pull you and me away from Jesus by pulling us into activities and attitudes that don't please or honor the Lord. On the other hand... It's through healthy relationships with followers of Jesus that most non-Christians get attracted to Jesus in the first place and eventually become his followers. So, so how are we supposed to be in the world but not of the world? How can we go about having authentic friendships with non-Christians but still keep some appropriate boundaries intact so that our witness to them is never jeopardized and our allegiance to Jesus is never questioned? Well, that's good questions, necessary questions, hard to answer questions. And, and what I've seen in my own life and also about other Christians is that we have a tendency to go to one extreme or the other. You see, on the one hand, we can assume that if we just stay away from non-Christians as much as possible, it'll be easier to become holy, to become the person God wants us to be. And you know what? That's a very disillusioning decision. <laughs> Why? Because we all learn soon enough that sinfulness and worldliness isn't just out there. This is just as much in here, isn't it? right inside each of us. And in addition, how, how can we ever share Jesus with a lost person if our goal in life is to avoid them at all costs? On the other hand, we can throw caution to the winds and we can try to minimize and even erase any distinctions between ourselves and those who don't follow Jesus. And, and we can... You know, we can point to Jesus who got criticized for having meals with sinful people as our justification. Well, Jesus did it. And, and this was the tendency of, of too many Corinthian Christians, so much so that it became hard to distinguish who was a follower of Jesus and who wasn't. The applesauce and the cottage cheese, man, you couldn't tell them any different. Um, maybe it got justified in a misguided effort to be evangelistic or to demonstrate their freedom in Christ, whatever. Uh, but clearly the lost in Corinth were having a far bigger influence and impact on some of the saved in Corinth rather than the other way around. There was still a whole lot more of Corinth in those Corinthian Christians than there needed to be. Now, 
let's try to understand what the Bible says to us here. The translation that I read earlier put it like this. Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Well, think about that for a moment. I mean, in fairness, you could say we have a lot in common with an unbeliever. I mean, uh, God loves both the believer and the unbeliever, doesn't he? Um, Jesus died again for both the believer and the unbeliever, didn't he? Yes. Both experience many of the same troubles and problems in life, don't we? Yes. Well, I like better how this other translation renders that same verse. How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And I think that captures what Paul was getting at here much better. There are some alliances, there are some partnerships in life, there are some kinds of relationships that Christians and non-Christians should not get into together. You know, uh, marriage might be the most obvious and the most important example. Don't ever marry an unbeliever. Don't do it. And, and I would be very careful about getting into certain business relationships or partnerships with a non-believer. The simple fact is that we ultimately serve two different kingdoms. So why put yourself into a situation where your loyalty to King Jesus can ever be compromised or questioned? Now, by the same token, the Bible never says that we should shun or withdraw from non-believers altogether. That was the culture I grew up in. Stay away from non-Christians at all costs. Bible never says that. The Corinthians were absolutely surrounded by pagan values and practices. And when Paul urged the Corinthians to avoid ungodly people, uh, he gave this important insight. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. <laughs> yeah. So just like Jesus, Paul was all about taking the initiative, developing relationships with and reaching out to lost people. And in fact, that was what Paul lived for. But that never meant then, and it can't mean now, joining in activities that bring discredit to Jesus or forming deep alliances with those who deny Jesus. Here's the question. Who's influencing who? Who is impacting who? And Jesus always made sure that he was the primary influencer, that he was the primary impactor when he was interacting with lost people. And you and I need to learn how to get this right so we can be and we can stay holy. And so as, as, we, as we navigate our way through living a holy, a cruciform life in a world that largely rejects Jesus, and among lost people who largely reject Jesus, we're always going to need the side of heaven to be wise and prayerful. Wise and prayerful. Till, the, till we go to heaven, folks. Here, here's a question. 
that we need to ask ourselves today, and I would suggest that we probably need to ask it every day that we live. Does my culture or does Scripture determine how I live before God? You say, well, that's an easy question, Pastor Rick. No, it's not really isn't. It's a, it's a harder question to answer than you might think. And the Corinthians struggled with that question. Remember, folks, these were relatively new Christians. When Paul wrote this letter of 2 Corinthians, the first people that he evangelized in Corinth had been followers of Jesus for only about five years. Just the oldest Christians in Corinth were five years old spiritually. And they were sincere believers. Uh, the Holy Spirit was, was definitely working in them as individuals and as a group. But they had come out of pagan, immoral, idol-worshiping backgrounds, and they were having a really hard time letting their old lives go and living into their new lives in Jesus. And Paul had just reminded them in the previous chapter of 2 Corinthians that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Okay, but, but what did that mean? What did that look like in, in their everyday walk-around lives? And, you know, so in, in both of the letters, First and Second Corinthians, Paul addressed some specific sinful behaviors that, well, I don't know, I guess they, they, would, they seem pretty obvious to us. For example, Paul said, no, you cannot continue to visit prostitutes to get your sexual needs met. And, I mean, it seems like kind of a no-brainer to us, right? I mean, really? That's, that's a question you're asking? But Corinthian culture, culture, didn't associate sexuality with morality. I mean, it's kind of like us, you know, uh, when, we, uh, when we get hungry and we're looking for a snack, uh, we're starting to feel a bit hungry, we, we just, we just kind of hit the fast food place, right? Go through it. I mean, it's no big deal. And Corinthian culture said that if you had a sexual urge, you satisfied it with what, whoever you wanted. And, and I can imagine, you know, Paul head in hand saying, no, 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 no. You, you can't sleep with whoever you want. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit now. You are set apart by God for God. You're holy now. Scripture must always trump culture. Always, folks. Another example from Corinthians was this whole business of attending feasts at the temples of pagan gods. You might look at that and say, why would anybody ever want to do that? Culture. Culture. Th those Corinthian Christians had a background in idol worship, and Corinthian culture assumed that no god demanded exclusive worship from its devotees. Therefore, you know, the more gods, the better. Big deal. And in addition, attending those feasts in those uh, temples was an integral part of the social and the business fabric of Corinth. 
So what if your pagan boss invited you to the temple of his God to enjoy some feast? And you say no, he gets offended and fires you. Oh, now we're talking about a different set of issues, aren't we? Or, or what if your unbelieving mother-in-law invited you to the temple of her God for some kind of family celebration, and you said no, and she got offended, and now all kinds of family strife breaks out? But Paul quoted several Old Testament passages in what we read today to support his conclusion. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is a form of idolatry. Scripture must always trump culture. Okay, but here's another question that we need to answer. Even if Scripture, not my culture, but even if Scripture is my final authority, and it should be, how can I apply it faithfully to my life today? After all, folks, the Bible was written thousands of years ago to different people in very different situations. And it, is it really possible to apply anything from Scripture to the way that I live my life today? Well, absolutely, sure. And Paul's letters provide some, some great insight. First, where Scripture is clear and specific, I just need to obey it, okay? You know, when it, when it comes to living a holy life before God, some things are, are very easy because the Bible is clear and specific. God's made some things crystal clear. For instance, for those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think Paul's being exhaustive, but that's pretty clear and specific, Yes. There are some activities and attitudes that are inconsistent with a holy life before God, past, present, future. And we don't need wisdom in that case. We just need to do what God says to do. Obey. Okay. That doesn't settle everything, does it? No, it doesn't. Here's the question again. Even if Scripture, not my culture, is my final authority, how can I faithfully apply it to my life today? Folks, where scripture is not clear and where it's not specific, I need to do what I call, I need to do my theology. I gotta put my little theology hat on and do some thinking. What does that mean? Well, I, I look for scriptural examples and principles that may guide my decision. I make it a matter of prayer. I seek out godly people get their insights and opinions. I allow the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart. And Paul did, you can see Paul doing that in his relationship with the Corinthians. I, I mentioned earlier that a Christian marrying a non-Christian is one example of a kind of partnership between believer and unbeliever that God does not want to see happen. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. Okay? And, and you know, I, I believe that insight is just as valid today as it was back in the first century. 
Okay. But what about if someone became a Christian after their marriage and their spouse did not? I mean, was, was that a reason to end the marriage? No. God's expectation of what it meant to be holy was different. And so Paul wrote, he said, if a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. And so what you have there is you have an example of holy wisdom that still applies today. Holy wisdom means you don't go out and marry an unbeliever, but it also means you don't end an existing marriage just because one spouse is an unbeliever. Here is another example of what I call doing my theology. Through Paul, God had said that eating food at these pagan temple feasts meant entering into a worship experience that honored a false god. It was idolatry. He wrote, am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God, and I don't want you to participate with demons. Okay, but what if a non-Christian there in Corinth invited a follower of Jesus over for dinner at his home? Not the temple, but his home. And, and what if that food that, he, that Christian was being served, what, what if that had been dedicated to a false god? Was that idolatry too? And Paul said, no, not necessarily. He said, if someone who isn't a believer asks you home for dinner, accept the invitation if you want to. Eat whatever is offered to you without raising questions of conscience. So what you see here is Paul doing his theology with the Corinthians. And, and so what are we supposed to do with that? Is there any way to apply that bit of holy wisdom to our lives now some 20 centuries later? Well, I think so. Here's just one example. If I made a friend of someone who was a Muslim, a Hindu, or a Buddhist, I would gladly eat at his home and invite him to eat at my home. But I would not accept an invitation to worship with him at his mosque or in his temple. Wouldn't go there. So again, if scripture, not my culture, is my final authority, how can I apply it faithfully to my life today? Folks, here's, here's another thought, and I want you to stay with me on this one because this gets difficult for people who love the Lord and love scripture. Where scripture is not clear and specific, I accept the fact that gray areas will still exist and they'll be there till we all go to heaven. Folks, not everything is black and white. And people who love Jesus and God's word as much as I do may end up acting or behaving differently than me. And, and I just want to share two examples with you this morning. Okay, here's, here's the first one. Over the last year, I've become keenly aware that not all Christians agree on whether they should take the COVID vaccine. Um, 
And since scripture does not address that question clearly and specifically, I've had to do my own theology here, okay? And I've concluded that it's, it's, that I should absolutely get the vaccine, okay? I did. In fact, I had my booster two weeks ago. Um, I'm grateful to God for its provision. I see it as an answer to prayer uh, for God to, to end the pandemic. I see it as a way to love my neighbor. But obviously not all believers agree with me. In fact, some are now asking for religious exemptions from the COVID vaccine. Makes no sense to me, is not logical to me, but you know, it doesn't have to be. Since scripture is not clear and specific, I, I've got to accept that as a gray area. And I must allow fellow believers to do their theology as I have done mine. We all need holy wisdom. Here's a second example. Okay? Our culture now insists that homosexual lifestyles and same-sex marriage should enjoy increased acceptance. And in light of that, let me ask, if you were invited to a same-sex wedding ceremony, would you attend it? Uh, it's probably true that, that some of you have already been invited. Did, did you attend? Let me ask you, did you do your theology? Whatever decision you made, did you do your theology before you made that decision? Here's the thing, folks. When I do my theology on this issue, here's what I know. Scripture makes it clear God loves gay people and that Jesus died for them just as much as he did for straight people. Scripture also makes it clear uh, that uh, God's people do not persecute, oppress, or hate anyone for any reason. We're called to show everyone love, respect, and dignity. Scripture also makes it clear that God created marriage as a relationship between one man and one woman. But... Scripture never clearly and specifically addresses whether it's ever okay to attend a same-sex wedding ceremony. So, Rick, do your theology. And where I stand today is this. I could not attend such a ceremony, even if it meant risking my friendship and my relationship with a gay friend. Because for me it would mean that I am giving my approval to a relationship that God could never be pleased with or that could ever honor God, okay? But folks, right there, right there is where I need to let other Christians do their theology. And I need to be prepared for the possibility that they might come to a very different conclusion. They may not approve of the practice of homosexuality. They may not approve of homosexual marriage either, but perhaps they still believe that they have valid reasons for attending such a wedding ceremony. They see it as an important and legitimate expression of their friendship with that gay person. They're concerned that their non-attendance will cause unnecessary and serious offense. Okay, okay, I, I may not agree, and I don't. But I also know that everything is not black and white. There are some gray areas, but that should prompt you and me all the more to ask God what it means to be and to stay holy in 2021, to obey when issues are clear, 
to do our theology when they're not, to seek wisdom, to study scripture, to talk with other believers, to listen to the Holy Spirit. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards holiness, complete holiness, because we fear God. There's a story of a pastor who brought home a 12-year-old boy by the name of Roger. That's because both of Roger's parents died in a drug overdose. And there was absolutely no one else to take care of Roger. And so this, pro this pastor brought Roger home to his wife, and they raised Roger as their own son. And um, <laughs> it was rough sledding there for a while. Um, after all, uh, Roger had never lived in an environment where there were not heroin-addicted adults. And so for quite a while, um, the conversations went something like this in that home. No, no. No, uh, Roger, uh, that's not how we do things in this family. No, no, Roger, you don't, you, you don't scream and hurt and lash out at people to get what you want. No, 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 Roger. That's not how we act in this family. And you know, over time, Roger began to change. Okay, so here's the question. Did Roger make those changes in his attitudes and his actions in order to be a member of that family? No. He made those changes in his attitudes and actions because he was already a member of that family. And... Um, that was just a part of, of being in that family. And, and he was willing to make those changes out of his gratitude for the love and the mercy and the acceptance of his new parents. Are you cruciform? Do you have a, a cross-shaped life? Folks, if you do and if I do, we are growing in what the Bible calls holiness. It means that we are accepting and we're living into a new and a clear identity. It means that we are becoming discerning more and more each and every day about what it means to be in the world but not of the world. It means that we live every day trying to understand God's wisdom and to be prayerful about the decisions that are placed before us. And every now and then when we get it wrong, we can expect the Holy Spirit to come into it, to, to speak into our hearts. No, no, no. That's not how we do things in the family of God. And do we change because that's how we're going to earn and deserve being in God's family? No, no. 
that's already there because of God's marvelous mercy and grace and love. We make those changes because we're already a member of God's family. Holiness. It's an essential part of being cruciform, of having a cross-shaped life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Uh, sometimes we, we've got to kind of think about things, Lord, and t- today maybe that's been what we've been needed to do is just to think about what, what, what does it really mean to be holy? What does that look like in 2021? And to realize that the Corinthians were struggling with it back there in the first century. Maybe the issues were different in some ways, the specific issues, but, but Lord, the, the challenge was very much the same to them as it is to us. And so, Father, we pray that as we go out and as we live our lives before you, that as we become more and more uh, familiar with your word, that, Lord, where it's clear and specific, we just obey it. We do what it says. And, Lord, where it's maybe not clear and not specific, we do our theology. We say, Lord, what, what does it mean to glorify you in my life today? And, Lord, we grant grace and understanding to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, realizing that some areas are just going to be gray until we go home to be with you. So, Father, we thank and we praise you for this challenge to each of us to grow in what it means to be holy. Help us to do that, Lord, listening each and every day to the voice of your Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www.carlroadbaptist.org. That's Carl with a K-A-R-L, roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.